Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, and we've got a very special COVID-19 related program today. Everything you want to know about COVID-19 vaccines and more. But for, first, let's introduce our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And in her other life, she serves on the as past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on Aging. She's got a master's degree in social gerontology with over 25 years experience in the field of aging. Next Avenue, top 50 influencer on aging. And we're delighted to have her here. Member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. And in COVID-19, she has been a busy, busy person uh, running the Charitable Foundation. So Carol, we've got a special guest today. We do, and, I, and I'm so thrilled to have Dr. Amali join us on the show. Everything I know about COVID, I learned from Dr. Amali. I think he's personally responsible for getting me through the past year, uh, is making me feel like there's some solid ground under my feet, um, and it's because knowledge is power, and he has certainly brought that to us. Dr. Amali uh-huh. is Chief of Cardiology and Specialty Care, Greater Texas Region for WellMed. He has uh, earned his medical degree from the Boston University School of Medicine, completed his internal medicine internship and residency at the University of Washington in Seattle, completed his cardiology fellowship at Wilfrid Hall and Brook Army Medical Center here in San Antonio. He's a 14-year veteran of the United States Air Force and reached the rank of uh, Lieutenant Colonel. I did not know that. So, uh, Colonel Almali, thanks for coming on. That was a long time ago, Ron. (laughs) Yeah, I gather. So, you are the WellMed medical management point person on vaccines, vaccinations, and have been briefing the company uh, literally for a year now. Uh, How did you end up with that responsibility? You know, Ron, I, um, I started off with um, and just an interest in epidemiology and virology. It was uh, an area of focus of mine prior to going to medical school in college and in uh, graduate school. And um, I did some undergraduate and graduate research as well. And so when the, when the pandemic started, I um, was just very interested and, and very actively involved in, uh, make, in, in keeping up with the literature and, and uh, the new data that was emerging. And so I think it was my interest um, and potentially my background in, in molecular biology and virology that, that kind of started it all. And, um, you know, once I, once I developed some level of expertise, I think it uh, just kind of snowballed over the past year. Well, the thing that has been amazing uh, to most folks is not only how quickly three vaccines have been uh, brought to market, but how effective they turn out to be. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely correct, Ron. I think that the efficacy of all three of these vaccines were um, far greater than um, any of us could have expected. And I think that, you know, when the first uh, data came out for uh, the Pfizer and the Moderna shots, you know, the 
we first heard of uh, 95% efficacy. Um, and then uh, immediately, you know, within a couple of days, um, you know, we had data from two companies, Pfizer and Moderna. They both showed very similar efficacies um, for a similar uh, vaccine, the same platform, an mRNA vaccine. Um, and so, you know, having that kind of data that was substantiated with two different studies and two different companies, I think really told us that we were looking at something, you know, somewhat, something special. Um, this is, it's unusual to get uh, this much uh, protection from a respiratory vaccine. Um, and then the Johnson & Johnson data really kind of falls in line with what we saw with Moderna and Pfizer, although it's a, a one-shot um, vaccination um, regimen, it, it still is extremely effective, especially at preventing severe disease. Now, how do companies decide that their vaccine is a one-shot or a two-shot? You know, I, I, I get this question actually asked a lot, and, and, and the answer is, um, you know, a lot of things that are done um, in terms of setting up these trials are somewhat arbitrary. In other words, how did they decide, like, for instance, how, how does Pfizer decide that they're going to separate two shots by 21 days and Moderna decides that they're going to separate the two shots by 28 days? A lot of it has to do with our knowledge of immunology and immune responses. But some of it is just, let's set up a trial this way and see how it works. And when you do that, you know, the, the early stages of research of these vaccines, what we call either preclinical or phase one studies, where we're looking at small groups of vaccines, small groups of people that are getting vaccinated and looking at an immune response. Um, when we see those types of immune response, those allow these larger studies to be set up. And so for Johnson & Johnson, they were happy when they did their early preclinical and their phase one clinical studies, they were very comfortable with the response they got with just one vaccine. With that said, a two-dose regimen for Johnson & Johnson is currently being researched. Um, and it's very likely that at some point, people who have received Johnson & Johnson in a one-dose regimen may be offered another dose or a booster um, you know, in a manner similar to what we are, are currently doing for Pfizer um, and Moderna vaccinated individuals. So are some of the people who are in these original studies still being studied so that we can see what the uh, what it looks like in terms of our the amount of immunity we have over the long term? Absolutely. So when they and so people will be these individuals who are enrolled in these studies, not the entire population, but subsets of these populations will be inter, will, will be evaluated and followed for years um, to look at long term benefit, long term potential side effects. But yeah, the, the, the clinical data does not stop when the drug achieves emergent use authorization. We continue to follow these patients long-term. There's a lot of data that we can get by still continuing to see how these patients do. He's Dr. Michael Amali, a cardiologist and really spearheads the WellMed medical management response to the COVID vaccines. And we're going to talk a little bit about the vaccination program that he helped WellMed launch. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol? Uh, so, Dr. Amali, you know, we're, we're starting to hear some rumbling out of Europe that they're not happy with their vaccine. We, we're, we're very happy here. What, what kind of problems are they seeing overseas that we're not seeing here? Yeah. So, you know, the, the vaccine that you're referring to is the AstraZeneca or Oxford vaccine. Um, and that vaccine is a, a, a platform or a vaccine format that is similar to our Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So it's a viral vector vaccine. 
And there were some concerns during the initial studies of that vaccine, the, the studies that eventually led to its use um, in Europe. Um, and I think that those concerns probably have prevented up until this point the AstraZeneca vaccine from being used in this country. Um, I think we're still looking at studies um, of the AstraZeneca vaccine in the United States. But a couple of things are concerning about that vaccine. And again, I don't have a tremendous amount of experience with that vaccine because it's not authorized in the United States. So I'm really kind of going by a lot of probably what you're reading as well. But if you look at what's happened with that vaccine, the first concern was that there were some inconsistencies in the way that they did their study that I think that a lot of us had um, some, you know, that, that, that caused a lot of us to hesitate in terms of how enthusiastic we were about that vaccine. So that was the first issue. The second issue that happened was um, we've seen that this vaccine probably isn't as um, beneficial to those that are exposed to some of the newer variants that you've probably read about. And in fact, the South African variant um, doesn't really seem to be phased by this vaccine very much at all. So that was concerning as well. And then more recently, um, there have been some reports of uh, some individuals who received that vaccine having some possibly concerning adverse outcomes. Um, there was a couple of concerning adverse outcomes in the initial study that caused them to have to pause that study for a period of time. Uh, but these are different. And there were some, um, from what I understand, some bleeding issues that some individuals had. Whether those are significant or not, I don't think we have data. And when I talk about significant, I mean, was it just that, you know, if you vaccinate enough people, someone's going to have a car accident on the way, you know, on the way home from the vaccination. And the vaccination didn't necessarily cause the car accident, but there's an association that doesn't always imply causality or right, a cause and effect. Well, there were some people that had some adverse outcomes with this AstraZeneca vaccine. I don't think we know yet whether the vaccine actually caused it or is just associated with it in terms of a time frame. But just to be clear, do you, after studying the three vaccines we have in the United States, do you have any concerns or do you recommend all three vaccines for anyone? So I um, think that the three vaccines that we're currently giving in the United States, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, are outstanding vaccines. And the safety profile of them is very good. Um, the, uh, these vaccines are extremely well tolerated. Uh, individuals who've received these vaccines, both in the studies, as well as now in real life, and that we're seeing as we're administering these vaccines to literally now over, you know, we've given over 100, we've given around 100 million shots at this point, right? So um, a lot of people have received this vaccine. Um, and um, the safety profile seems to be outstanding. Talk a little bit about how WellMed got into uh, offering the vaccine at uh, two of our senior centers in a partnership with the city of San Antonio. Yeah, so I think, you know, when the, when the vaccines um, were being authorized and as we were leading up to that point, WellMed, as well as pretty much every healthcare organization, doctor's office, pharmacy around the country, we were all positioning ourselves to be able to obtain the vaccine, to be able to administer the vaccine to our patients as well as to the public. And so that was already the plan. And what we saw very early on was that administering small quantities of vaccines in many, many different places was nowhere as efficient as, in, as it is to administer large numbers of vaccines in fewer places. And so that's where mass vaccination um, has, uh, has come into play. 
So, you know, in a mass vaccination clinic that is properly staffed, properly organized, and has been um, deliberately created or designed to vaccinate many people, we can literally vaccinate hundreds of people an hour, as opposed to a smaller facility or a single doctor's office or even a single pharmacy where they may only be able to, to vaccinate 100 or 200 people in an entire day. We can do far more than that in just one hour. And so yeah. our vaccination capacity is so great in our large clinics. And we saw that early on when we entered into you know, an arrangement with San Antonio Metro, with SA Metro, to be able to vaccinate not just well-med patients, but to really focus on vaccinating the high-risk individuals and especially the underserved community or areas of our community. And so that's what we've been doing. Well, and just as an example, we I believe the number that we have that we can vaccinate at one of our senior centers is 250 people an hour. Yeah, and, that, and, and I'll say that's 250 people an hour in a very safe and comfortable manner. And um, when, when pushed to do so, we can actually vaccinate somewhat more than that as well. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to both of you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio, talking with Dr. Michael Almali, cardiologist and uh, the tip of the spear on Wilmot's COVID-19 vaccine program. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregivers' stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, talking with Dr. Michael O'Malley. He is the tip of the spear for the COVID-19 response by WellMed uh, to the vaccine program across the city and across the state. He also is a cardiologist and head of cardiology at WellMed Medical Management. Michael, we were talking about the incredible numbers of, of vaccinations being done uh, by Wilmot and the city at the Wilmot Senior Centers, I believe that uh, uh, up to 250 or more per hour. Are, are you able to get the vaccines that you need to do that? Yeah. So now we're finding, you know, as we're we're literally, you know, in our third month of vaccinating, and and um, so we're we're not rookies at this anymore. And uh, fortunately, we're finding that the um, the flow of vaccination doses to us. Um, has become much more predictable than it was early in the rollout. And so, yes, we're, we're able to um, predict um, a little bit more um, than we were able to several weeks ago, how many vaccines we're going to be able to do on a given week um, and then prepare for that appropriately. Now, when you hear the numbers on a national level, 100 million people have been vaccinated uh, and we're looking to go to what? 300,000 or more, 300 million or more uh, across this country. Uh, how are we doing here in keeping up with that level of vaccinations? 
Yeah. So, so let me just make a small correction there. We've given about 100 million doses, but I would not say that 100 million people have been vaccinated. That is a combination of dose ones and okay. dose twos. And so I think that the where we're sitting out right now is probably, and I'm, I'm not looking at the number wrong, but if I, if I had to guess, I would say we're probably sitting in the 60 to seven, you know, 60 million or so, 60, 65 million people have received at least one shot. And probably somewhere a little bit over 30 million people have received both shots. Put those numbers together and you get right around 100 million people. But um, in Texas, we're doing well. We're, you know, we have a large state and we are spread out and we have many large metropolitan areas. Um, and so when you look at percent wise, um, we're, we're doing well. We've uh, administered um, about, uh, you know, 20% of our population has gotten at least one shot and somewhere around 10% of our population has been fully vaccinated. So that's good. Um, but we have a large population in the state of Texas. And so when you compare us to some of the other states, um, if you look at absolute numbers of shots, we've done extremely well. Um, we've we've um, delivered um, a, a, a very large number of total vaccinations in the state of Texas, um, as opposed to uh, most states in the country. How well protected well, are we? Let me ask a question we? about some of this vaccine. I was saying how well protected are Sorry, we? Sorry, go ahead, Ron. With the two shot or the one shot of Johnson & Johnson, uh, if we're exposed to the vaccine, uh, to the to the virus, are, are we not going to get it? Yeah. So um, I think that, um, you know, every one of the studies that um, have looked at their vaccines look at things a little bit differently. So I think it's really important that when we talk about how well protect, how well protected these vaccines are, that we compare apples to apples. Um, what we know is that um, all three of these vaccines um, prevent severe disease, hospitalizations, and people from dying extremely well. Um, and as far as mild to moderate disease or asymptomatic disease, they're all, they're all very, very effective as well. But that is actually probably not as important as a statistic. Um, the uh, Pfizer and Moderna shots are both 95% efficacious, which means they are 95% effective at preventing COVID-19 or symptomatic COVID-19. If you don't test, you don't know. But we know that when people are getting tested, when you divide up groups into people that get either a placebo or the Pfizer or Moderna shot, that um, there is a 95% reduction in the number of infections that we see um, in those that are vaccinated. Um, with Johnson & Johnson, the numbers are a little bit different. But again, remember, it's a one-dose regimen. And they, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was studied at a different time than Pfizer and Moderna was. And it was also studied in different locations. And so, as you, you know, we've already talked about that South African variant is concerning. Well, South Africa was a uh, major location for studying that Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And yet we found that it was still protective not as protective, but protective against that variant. So the Johnson & Johnson data came later in the pandemic. And so it's really kind of hard to compare. We do know that in the United States, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is 72% or so protective against um, moderate to severe disease and 86 or so percent protective against more severe disease. So very, very helpful, very, very effective. Um, and that um, that protection happens relatively early on um, after vaccination. We start to see um, benefit as early as 14, 21 days or so. So Carol? with the with the variants, you know, that we, we hear a lot about variants. I think I just saw another headline flash on my phone for something. Huh. Another mm -hmm. development of a, of a variant. Um, 
is that a reason not to get uh, the vaccine because maybe it's not going to work as well against the variant? So why bother? Yeah. So I don't agree with that. I think that that is um, I, I think that we we should help people change the way they think about this. So first of all, um, the vaccines are protective against uh, these newer variants, but they're maybe not quite as protective. Um, with that said, you know, a lot of protection often is beneficial at preventing severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And that's really what our goal should be, right? In the pandemic, if everybody just got a cold, and if you got COVID-19 and you just had a cold and you were out of work for two days and, you know, you had some sniffles and runny nose and then you went back to work, we wouldn't even be having these conversations. We wouldn't, I mean, none of this would be the case. So preventing mild disease is not the, is, is not the overall goal. The overall goal is preventing people from dying, reducing, you know, long-term consequences of severe disease um, and keeping our hospitals from being um, overrun and keeping people out of the hospitals off of ventilators, those kind of things. And it is extremely effective at preventing um, severe disease and effective even in those people that have been infected with some of these um, newer variants. And so with the, with the number of people, what's the percentage of people do you think that don't plan on getting the vaccine? And what yeah, would you say so to them? I, I believe that number has changed recently, but at the beginning of our vaccination efforts back in December, um, you know, some estimates were as high as 40 to 50% of people were not planning on getting the vaccine. I haven't seen um, a public survey recently, but I do believe that public perception has changed somewhat. somewhat. I think that as more and more people get vaccinated and see that um, these vaccines are extremely well tolerated, I think that more and more people are starting to warm up to the idea of getting vaccinated. Um, I think that um, it seems to me that our elderly population who are at highest risk for a uh, poor outcome or for severe disease, should they get infected, they seem to be very um, um, enthusiastic about getting this vaccine, fortunately. And I've had very few of my elderly patients um, that have declined vaccination, which is, which is really great. Now, we don't do politics on this show, but I, I saw a report in the news this morning that of those who support the former president, 47% of men say they're not going to get the vaccine. Yeah. That's a big so number. I, I, it is a big number. And I applaud you for not getting political about this. And because COVID-19 uh, or SARS-CoV-2, the virus is not political. It, right. it doesn't get to vote. It doesn't really care um, what your, your uh, political slant is. Um, and uh, masks are also not political. And masks don't care what your political slant is. This is, this is an infectious disease. And um, decisions about policy and also about vaccination should be uh, guided by um, and dictated by science and not by politics. Now, there was also a report that some of the good news out of all this is that there has been much less of an incidence of flu because we're really washing our hands, taking care of ourselves, staying out of big groups for the most part. So flu is down. Flu is down very significantly. Um, and I have some data and a couple of graphics um, that I'd be happy to share with you that show how much of an impact that we've had on flu. And, and you know, it makes perfect sense. First of all, aside from distancing, we know that, you know, so people aren't around each other as much. But not only that, um, influenza is a respiratory virus. It's spread in a very similar way to COVID-19. And, you know, it, 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 when we're wearing masks, when we're properly wearing masks and we're washing our hands, we're, I would bet you that there's fewer rhinoviruses or common colds as well. I don't think 
you know, we don't report or track colds, but I would, uh, I would bet almost for certain that, that, that the numbers of common colds that we've seen have been significantly lower. So I want to ask you to share, because this is something I've been doing recently. You mentioned properly wearing a mask. I am not Mm -hmm. a big person and I've had, you know, mask problems with them kind of gaping. You recently gave us a trick to help your mask fit snugger, uh, especially when you're wearing two masks. What What was that? Yeah. If you make your mask tighter and bring it to your face more and reduce the amount of spaces around that mask, your mask is going to be more effective. You're going to, by doing that, you're going to force breathing to occur through the mask rather than around the mask. So one thing you can do, if you're wearing a surgical mask, what you can do is tie a knot at the base of where the ear loops are. So the ear loops originate from the sides of the mask. And so if you take that ear loop and you tie a knot at the base, it creates a circle that originates from that knot. And you can put those circles around your ear. And then all you have to do is tuck in the sides so that they're up against your face. And all of a sudden, your surgical mask becomes much more effective at preventing particles from either leaving your mouth and going into the atmosphere or from particles that are coming from the person you're talking to from entering into your mouth. We're out of time. Got to stop you right there. Dr. Michael Amali, thank you very much. For Carol Zernial, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.